Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon Reads A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 157, Samwell 2 in A Feast for Crows. I'm one of your hosts, Chloe. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. Thank you, everyone, for being here with us this week, and thank you very much for being understanding about last week. Yes, we uh, had to take a quick break with some family stuff going on at both homes, but we are back in action on a boat. We're on a boat with Sam, Gilly, and Eamon. We Ready are... for some grief? <laughs> yeah, actually, we're prepping for grief and learning a little bit about it. Eamon's giving yeah. us a primer before, you know, we grieve for him. Oh my god. Eliana and I have gorged on grief. We've had our fill, yes. you know, but yet here we are. Ready for Here more. we are. Yeah, that's why we keep rereading these books. <laughs> oh my god. Well, before we get on that boat and skip on down through Skagosi area, those horrible waters we're going to talk about, let's do a quick chat about what we're doing this month. Patreon episode coming out this month for patrons in the Stranger Tier and above. Yes, patrons in the Stranger Tier and above get bonus episodes every month, and this month we are doing something that... Eliana and I are so excited about Yes. Probably wrongfully excited. We're probably <laughs> so, such nerds. Uh, March Shroom. <laughs> it's March Shroom Madness. Mushroom. The Testament of Mushroom. Right. Our testimony of Mushroom here. We are going to talk about Mushroom and his role in Targaryen history because I have a feeling Hot D might not. I wonder, yeah, how they're going to incorporate him, right? Because he's such like a, a presence, a for the Dance of the Dragons, because we get a lot of it through some of his accounts in Fire and Blood. But I'm sure we'll, like, see him, maybe? I don't know. But don't I'm know. excited to talk about Mushroom, March Shroom. We're going to talk about him. We're also going to talk about real-life mushrooms oh and God, yes, we consuming are. them. But not, like, the psychedelic kind, like, the culinary kind. But I guess you could use the psychedelic kind culinarily, but it's not, like, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather dehydrate other shrooms, but I mean, like, yeah. we might talk about those, too. You don't know. Yeah. So we'll find out. We'll find out. That episode will be out by the end of the month for $5 patrons and up. Thank you so much for subscribing to us and pledging to us on Patreon. We've had a lot of fun over there getting to do some weird episode ideas. If you haven't checked it out, we've been doing a series on the free cities. We're hitting our last two soon. We're saving them, though, for this year for for reasons. For reasons. We're saving them for reasons. But you'll hear about them when they're coming out. Yeah, I think we have, like, the last two are big ones, you know, Volantis and yeah. Bravos. so. We're going to Bravo soon ourselves. Here with Indeed, Sam. that's so true. So true. So true, bestie. Well, <laughs> our, if you're a patron of ours, and if you're in the Thunder tier and above, the $10 tier and above, we actually have a private Discord server. Members get private Discord access for life life we aren't gonna kick you off you're our fam and every month we do brunch slash happy hour you just missed ours right we just did it last week sorry but you can come next month in april and we'll have more info on that soon this month i'm excited we're actually recording the day before brunch so i think we're just gonna play a bunch of jackbox games tomorrow I I can't wait to just be silly, talk about A Song of Ice and Fire and His Dark Materials, and kind of see what our patrons have been up to this month. Indeed. It's going to be a very relaxed brunch. We need that. I think we need that. Yes. And so some things have changed this month, again, because of our swapping of episode release dates. In lieu of this being released last week, we put out our... Patreon episode covering the novella from the His Dark Materials series, Once Upon a Time in the North, which follows Lee Scoresby and York Burnison. 
But we are moving a little bit regarding the release dates of our His Dark Materials episodes for this month. Yeah, just to get back on track, we will have our next Amber Spyglass episode out on April 1st, best day of the year, best day of the <laughs> entire year, the best human ever to be born was born that day, it me. Uh, yes. <laughs> we'll be releasing our next His Dark Materials episode on the 1st. We'll resume with Sam for the rest of the month, and you know we might uh, try to bring the His Dark Materials back to the right track. I'm guessing in May, uh, we will be... At the end of the month, we'll probably be coming right back into into style, into fashion, but we will be at Ice and Fire Con at the end of April. So more to come on our schedule for April. Yes. Yeah. April 1st, it is a no joke that oh Chloe God. was born that day. You are so funny. Eliana, <laughs> how can I deal with someone so clever and good looking every week? I just Chloe's don't like, know. I'm- heard this joke like a million times but whatever whatever march that's why that's why youtube kicked us off they were like you could be funny or you could be beautiful you can't be both girls uh my god (laughs) (laughs) oh speaking of youtube at some point we are working on uh we will obviously announce the date for when that happens but teaming up with direwolf city to talk about the righteous gemstones at some point Yes, praise be to she. I can't wait. <laughs> Love those girls. I was on with Ara over at her channel, Ara Eat Zebra, on YouTube doing Euphoria reviews with her and sometimes Gray, this gray area, and you once, believe it or not. Yes. You were there, and you were there, and you were there. That was a blast for season two. Those videos are there. Maybe we'll throw a link to Ara's channel. You should check them out if you were into Euphoria. You know, the show with the good music, the <laughs> that stuff. It was a fun time. <laughs> what was that? Yeah. that? That's Labyrinth, man. That's Labyrinth. Oh my god. Watch Euphoria. That's all I have oh. to tell you guys about the show. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. So we'll we'll keep you all updated when we cover The Righteous Gemstones, which I am looking forward to. It's just, again, things are hairy right now in terms of timing, so. Like an ebony sailor. Yeah. But speaking of timing, let's uh let's breathe through some of these moments in the story. Yeah, lightning round time. Arya 1. Arya arrives in Bravos to the House of Black and White. Cersei 2. Cersei heads to the set for Tywin's Bake, where a middling level of incompetencies take place and is rejected by her uncle for Hand of the King. Jaime 1. Jaime rejects Cersei for Hand of the King. Again. <laughs> Brienne 2. Brienne reaches Duskendale and obtains a new shield. Sansa 1. Merillion haunts the castle, locked up for his quote-unquote crimes. Peter has some haters. Sansa coddles Sweet Robin, because someone has to. The Kraken's daughter. Asha awaits her supporters before the Queen's moot, including her most loyal support. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I meant her most annoying supporters. <laughs> Christopher Botley. <sighs> the Hyle Hunt he of Asha's Plot. At least he grows, so I guess there's that, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about him. I don't know. Jury's still out. (laughs) Cersei 3. Cersei throws a rager for Tommen's wedding to Marjorie, most pleased by Wildfire and Orane Waters' resemblance to Rhaegar. The Soiled Knight. (laughs) Ari's Oakheart has been having dirty, dirty sex with Princess Arienne, and has now hit a crossroads. Save his pure golden princess, or keep getting his dick sucked. What will he do? Someone help me figure it out. He goes the same route as, like, Sammy, like, I could drown. I could die. I could die. (laughs) I could die. (laughs) 
At least I'll keep having little deaths until the big death, you know? Yeah. Brienne 3. Brienne finds what seems like a new lead through Nimble Dick Crab. And that brings us over to Sam 2 of Feast for Crows. Adventures stink. Wait. Wait, shit. I'm sorry. That's the wrong book. Same message. It's the same exact. Same chapter. Same chapter. Sam has been sick this entire trip. At the beginning, he was like, I have a queasy belly. But he also kind of has a fear of drowning, too, so that's not helping. He has to stay brave, though, especially for Gilly. The moment they left the shore, she had begun to cry, whispering, God's be good, to herself. The book, like, specifies that it's not the ocean that, like, really causes the sickness. It's, you know, the motion of the ship. Oh and I, I, and it's true. It's true, though. This is how motion sickness works. Um, That's, that's all I have. And Phoebe... Phoebe Bridgers is playing in the background. That's the song Darian singing. It's not the size of the ship, it's the motion of it in the ocean, Eliana says. (laughs) Take That's literally what George wrote. (laughs) (laughs) I do uh I I do have to say Phoebe Bridgers is the musician one, right? Phoebe Waller Bridgers. God damn, it's Phoebe yeah, no, it's, Waller it, Bridgerton. No, 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 it is Phoebe Bridgers. Yeah, it's okay, so confusing. Okay. That's the I feel music, like okay. I had never really heard of many Phoebes for a while, and then all of a sudden there's like a million Phoebes. It's the Spider-Man meme when it comes to the mm. actress versus the musician, and I don't know which one is which, Phoebe Waller Bridgerton, but you need to figure it out. You need it's very to difficult. figure it out. <laughs> They're both different kinds of bards. The North had disappeared bit by bit from them, and the wind was coming up. Sam reassured Gilly, but she only held her baby tighter and fled from him. So Sam finds himself hurling off the boat at the gunwale, which makes him think more about drowning. As a young boy, his father had thrown him in the pond beneath Horn Hill to teach him to swim. He had wheezed for hours until Sir Hyle pulled him out. Sam never goes into water deeper than his waist after that, and... Would you know it, when you're out at sea, it's definitely deeper than your waist. And the water's also full of rocks and whirlpools that could kill him as well. <laughs> it reminds me of the the move, the whirlpool move that was in the OG Pokemon games. Mm. That you had to get to be able to go up like whirlpools and waterfall stuff, you know? Yeah. That's what it yeah. reminds me of. Like they really move. didn't bring that back a lot after a few of the gens, I feel like. But it was, a, it was like only useful in two areas. But that does remind me of using Whirlpool, and Sam doesn't have a Pokemon that could do that for him, which is bummer. He does not. I, I actually, vomit. this stood out to me because it's the only mention of Hyle in, in Sam's plot. So in a way, I, I know we almost liken Sandor and Joffrey's relationship kind of to, you know, like he was stuck watching over the kid all the time. So there had to be some sort of idolatry going on. And it's weird to think of Hyle and what effect he could have on Sam, right? Uh, Or what influence he's had on Sam's life growing up. It seems that he might have been one of his father's men that was always around. It does make me think that like when he was, you know, trying to impress and get with Brienne, he actually was very smart, right? He gave her a book, a beautiful book with beautiful illustrations and tales of knightly valor. He brought Mm. apples and carrots for her horses and a silk plume for her helm. And he knew the things that Brienne wanted and was interested in as a lady. And some of those things are not unlike what Sam is interested in, right? With books and knightly valor, stories of knightly valor. It makes me think that maybe Hyle does have some kindness somewhere in his heart, like one bone of kindness in his heart. It's probably the only good thing Hyle's done, right? Like saving Sam's life, giving Brianna a book. 
Those are probably the big things he's done great in his life. But he is, weirdly enough, like, the text completely connects him to Darren right after this. Mm. And the description of Darren that we get after this mention of Heil, they kind of both seem to share some of the same traits, right? Like, kind of handsome, assholes, very self-sure. And, I don't know, interesting considering we just got Heil in the last chapter, right, with Brienne. Yeah, there was something, it wasn't the book, there was something that we, like, gave, I guess, Heil credit for during the Brienne chapters, but clearly I didn't internalize that. So Heil gets, like, two cookies for everything that he's done in his whole life. You know. Mm. (laughs) Jury's out. Jury's out. Yeah, that's interesting likening him to Darren, because... I don't know, like, I do feel bad for Darian. We can talk about it more later as we get more of Darian's story, but Darian's like an asshole, but I do feel for him. Yeah, I kind of feel like more he's so. the, yeah. the Garrus Drinkwater of this trip. Yeah, like, I mean, Garrus Drinkwater, I guess he, you know, he wasn't forced to join the penal colony for Darian. I'm like, right. that was pretty unfair. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there, but... You know, Darian, he's fair-haired and hazel, asks Sam if he's looking for mermaids, and Sam says no, but he doesn't actually know what he's looking for. And it's not being a maester, though, that's for sure. Or leaving his only friends, or facing his father. None of these things are the things that Sam is looking for in life. I will say (laughs) that we're going to pass Skagos, right, sail by it this chapter, and between that and then Darian being like, are you looking for mermaids? It makes me think a little bit of the Manderleys, like we're kind of being primed to be mm-hmm. like, the Manderleys, right? Yes. And I don't know that it really means anything. It's just kind of like atmosphere and being like, put this in your subconscious because it's going to come up. I definitely will come back to this because there's more than just this in this mm-hmm. chapter. Um, Manderleys are definitely scattered around just atmospherically. That's a great way to put it. You can feel them coming in the plot. Or varies, who might be a merman, according to some theories. Mm. And I think he actually is kind of in this chapter, too, because we're going to talk about some baby swapping, right? Oh, oh mm-hmm. yes, very true, very true. Mm-hmm. Well, Sam hopes and thinks it's going to be different for them, right? Gilly's going to be warm, well-fed, living a dream as a servant at his father's castle, happy watching her son grow up to be a huntsman, a stable boy, a smith. Whoa, 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 whoa. Sam, Samwell, Samwell, honey. Is this not just Tyrion and Shay in a clash of kings? Is this, is this not? (laughs) It's not, right? It's obviously not because their line of work is very different. However, I got so many Tyrion vibes from this chapter from, first of all, Penny and Tyrion, right? Being on the ship right now in A Dance with Dragons, completely parallel to this. But also Sam is like, hey, this is a step up for you, Gilly. I'm going to let you be a servant. And Sam is like, there's something interesting that he has this class status that he doesn't really always realize that he is able to move between the two, being a brother of the Watch, but also he's still a Lord's son, even though he was supposed to have his last name erased when he went to the Watch, right? And we're seeing that be a huge theme for many of these men of the Watch, whether it be Aemon or John. Uh, Sam can shed his blacks and be a Tarly, as he'll see throughout these books. He could shed his blacks and technically be a Tarly and save her with his wealth, which he's using that in a really good way to use his class to protect Gilly. But she could never do the same, right? Like, she can't move between these classes. And I'm sure uh, the bad show kind of played with it when they actually do go to Horn Hill in the show. But I'm sure that we'll see something that will further highlight and illustrate that. And... 
I was rereading some of those Tyrion chapters in A Dance with Dragons with Penny, and there's a ton in common with Tyrion's journey. Sam doesn't know about the baby swap yet, so he doesn't understand Gilly's attitude. Tyrion, on the other hand, does know why Penny is laden with grief, right? They killed her brother because of Tyrion, and it's not really his fault, but it also is his fault entirely. You know, it's like both. Even the language is great. He says, you know, can I be of help? And she says no. And then it's quick as that she was gone again, retreating back below to the cabin she shared with her dog in Sao, not unlike Gilly, fleeing, right, from being above on the ship. And the sailors also think that Penny is bad luck because she's a woman on a ship, let alone a dwarf on a ship. And Gilly is no different. They look at her, as we'll see, as an abomination and just the guilt between the two. It's very interesting seeing them in such a similar position once more. Absolutely. With the, I think that's a great, great comparison in regards to how they're able to weave between class. And I mean, even like Arya, right, is kind of able to do so as well. She can go mm-hmm. yeah. into different places and navigate different places that she wouldn't necessarily be able to. And Sansa, their stories are part of that. But I really like the comparisons you've made between Penny and Gilly because they absolutely do highlight that not only like in terms of class, but also in terms of sex, right? The mm-hmm. the doors that are close to them and also people being like, it's unlucky to have them on the ship. And I'm like, I don't think it works like that. I don't think that's how ships work, but okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's not how the weather works. But and and yeah, and the projection where Sam just kind of assumes, right, that this will be better for Gilly. But as we know, for multiple reasons, it is not. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't good for you when you were in your father's house, was it? You think yeah. you and Gilly have so much in common. <laughs> Do you think maybe she will really not have a great time there? And also she doesn't know anyone, right? Same as how Sam doesn't want to leave his friends or loved ones. And Gilly did do that, right? She left mm-hmm. her auntie mother sisters. Yeah. Again, hyphens between all of those. <laughs> um, but, I mean, those were the people that she knew. And she's alone in the world and has now left her son. Even more alone now. Yeah. Sam continues to make these assumptions for other people, right? He says, and Maester Eamon's going to go somewhere better as well. Warm breezes at Old Town, talking yeah, to fellow fucking Maesters. heaven. <laughs> yeah, it actually sound does sound like a great way to go, but having earned his rest a hundred times over? Sure, sure. And Darian could also be happier. He claimed to be innocent of the rape that sent him to the wall, and now he would have that chance, recruiting in your instead, who had been presumed vanished and dead. Um... He is he is dead. <laughs> we yeah. all saw that. Yeah, Yorin's dead and Darren's gonna be too. Rip. <laughs> the voyage would be long and rough. No one could deny that. But for the others, at least, there would be a happy end. That was Sam's solace. I am going for them, he told himself. For the Night's Watch and for the happy ending. The longer he looked at the sea, though, the colder and deeper it appeared. Yeah, so... If you've been paying attention, you know there's not a happy ending. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waving the sausage. No, I'm not. Um, Stop but Sam waving is- <laughs> the sausage, Eliana. Sam is dispelled, though, right, of these illusions about happy endings and his nevet about this by the end of the chapter. And I, I do appreciate, right, that it is easier for Sam to come to terms with making this journey if he knows that he's the only one who's really going to suffer, right? He's willing to sacrifice his own happiness. And I think that's very much part of Sam's goodness. He's doing it for the other people. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that makes him quite similar to Gilly, right? Like, she's, as we all know, she is giving up a lot right now. And she's doing it just to save this other child. And as we know, like, the further Gilly sails from her son in the Night's Watch, that's the further she gets from her happy ending. And Sam doesn't realize until the end of this chapter. Darian does not get a happy ending. He is killed by Arya. Uh, <laughs> you liken Darian and Yorin to their dads. Both of them are in, are uh, related to Arya. In a way. And Aemon yeah. never job, really gets... Same death. <laughs> yeah. Same little girl around there. And Aemon never really gets to enjoy the warm breezes of his youth because uh, he dies on the ship. Yep. Well, not on the ship, but you know. On this journey, yep. on the way there. Gilly whispering, gods be good. Uh, I don't know that we really get anything in this chapter that really tells us that Gilly is actually afraid of the water and of drowning, especially not after that reveal. It, she's afraid, right, of leaving her son behind. So that's a lot of Sam kind of projecting his fears onto Gilly mm-hmm. and telling himself he's being brave for her. But it's it's really for himself, which is good. Do it for yourself, Sam. Gilly is bastard brave. Exactly. Exactly. And that, Nothing I mean, frightens that girl. <laughs> Except for the safety, I guess, of her own son, but she's got a... If she looks back, she is lost. (laughs) And so, as we find out, right, they're going in this other sea, right? Sam thinks everyone's going to get their happy ending. Reminds me of the saying of sailing off into the sunset, and that is not what they're doing. They're not sailing off into the sunset, not the sunset sea either. And that made me realize, like, oh, maybe that is Arya's ending. I don't really know. But I guess that would make sense. Sailing, sailing off, into, off the sunset. into the sunset. Like, would George do that? He would do that. He would do that on purpose. I do think <laughs> that it leaves it open-ended for her, especially, I mean, it's Nymeria, you know? Sailing yeah. off, trying to find Solace, a better place, after having watched all of these people, her friends, family members, you know, people that she finally found, go through horrible traumatic stuff, I imagine, will happen. I imagine there will be some trauma. In the last two books of the series, maybe that's even just more me. than she's already had. Yes, yeah, yeah. So I imagine that it'll be like neatly written, but I could see that. I could see the the whole sailing off into the sunset. I actually really love these lines, right? Like that. It's just such a very sad passage of like for the others. At least there'll be a happy end. It actually reminds me of the Avril Lavigne song. I think it is the. Yes. Maybe it's not. It so is much for my happy ending. Is that Avril? Uh, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. It reminds me of that. Dumb friends. I know what they say. Oh, I love that little note thing right there. Like the where it like resolves. God, that's sexy. The dissonance dissolving from a song. Anyway, sorry, sorry, sorry. We got sidetracked. Uh, yeah. I don't know. It's a sad line, and it's sad because. Sam goes from being a little more hopeful and optimistic about some of these things to being hardened and more realistic about them after this, right? He becomes a little more hardened from it. It is very uh, very akin to Sansa's story, for example, of Sansa taking off those rose lenses, and Sam realizes yeah. he has to now, too. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll get there in this episode, but first, down in the cramped cabin sam realizes not looking at the water is actually worse and yes that makes sense right your your body is disoriented from the motion that it's feeling seeing the water or seeing your movement this works in cars too helps aligns your brain 
He tries to talk to Gilly to take his mind off of things, telling her he'll find them a ship to Old Town and that he had read of Bravos when he was small. The city was built in a lagoon on a hundred islands with a stone titan, hundreds of feet high and boats instead of horses and mummers who perform real written stories. And the food! He carries on, talking about oysters and the shows he hoped they could see between waiting for a ship. But it doesn't excite her. She peers at him through dull eyes, saying, If you want, my lord. And that's what she wants, and she says nothing and turns from him. <laughs> Sam, stop being blind to your girlfriend. My god. <sighs> if he wasn't, he maybe he would have known what was going on, yeah. as we find out from Eamon. Yeah, he's too wrapped up as in, own, in his own bullshit, you know, to really realize it yet. Even the language reminds blind, me of yeah. uh, a little bit of Shay and Tyrion here with the Malord action mm. going on. That, like that formal, if you want, Malord. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah, absolutely. <sighs> this next scene is so hard, dude. They go the the trip is this is a big travelogue, right? Like this chapter, we're able to cruise through a lot of it because it's a travelogue, and. It goes on, stirring more puke out of Sam's belly, who blows chunks into the oncoming wind. <sighs> and oh, yet he's Sam. like, it's all over me, but I feel better. Yeah. <laughs> well, and as he's going to say at some point, he's used to the smells going yeah. on now that everything stinks really badly. So, you know, I think the, the puke, he's like, whatever, it's my own stench, I guess. Yeah. I get motion sick. I don't, uh, not from like, I don't know, not from boats maybe not too much from boats but i do get car sick really badly and i used to like go up on trips with my parents three hour trips every few weekends to see my grandparents and i would want to read because it's three hours and you're bored as fuck and i couldn't i would get so sick oh man i used to be able to do it pretty well reading in cars and stuff but not so much anymore (sighs) i'm better at it now i'm better at it now than i was as a kid i don't get as sick you know where your finger and your thumb meet that little pad between your finger and your thumb yeah there's actually like a weird little like nerve muscle right there if you press it it'll help yeah with nausea i learned that trick and that has helped me a lot the more you know everyone the more you know (laughs) so we received some info on the blackbird the largest of the watches galleys it's not the fastest, though. That would be the Stormcrow and Talon, lean, fighting ships. Blackbird was better to brave the rough waters near and beyond Skagos, though. Winter storms are bad, but autumn storms are more common. Yeah, those other two boats aren't great to travel with because they're more open, and you have to have a ton of men rowing them, right? And I do think that we're going to see more Stormcrow in action in the future. Talon's actually the one that got taken to hmm. go to Hardhome by Cotter Pike, and the Stormcrow is the ship that ends up finding the wreckage of the ship we see at Skagos here as we pass. Later in Dance, they find that wreckage. The name of the ship is interesting, though, right? It, it, maybe this is just, we need a book, but I wonder if, because it's Stormcrow, if we'll see that ship again in action, because it reminds me of Euron. Uh, so it'd be interesting if it comes back in Sam's plot and is used like to go fight Euron or something, I don't know. Also makes me think of the storm crows, like the cell swords and mercenaries. Absolutely, there's like something there. I don't know what it is yet, but the name stands out, and I was like kind of racking my brain, like what could it mean? Well, but so the one other thing yet. I was thinking was with the storm crows, the actual storm crows themselves. It makes me think yeah. of them, and 
I don't know. It made me, makes me think, you know how like all these people from the plots that get exiled, yeah, get exiled and run mercenary companies. Yeah, it just makes me I, think maybe it's somebody started the Storm Crows once, and it could have been you know somebody that was exiled to the Watch or whatever. I was thinking like, is it a sort of I don't know ship kind of name? Like not this kind of ship, like a relationship kind of name for like Daenerys Ooh. and Jon, because she's Stormborn, <laughs> right? The Storm, oh. and then he's a crow. <gasps> is this the boat? And where she is gonna conceive the boat baby, Storm Crow, maybe. Oh, that'd be that would be. <gasps> I'm not kidding. Even I'm really not kidding. Like maybe the I know, Storm Crow I know. is gonna be used it- with them, and they conceive the boat baby. I know you're not kidding, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. <laughs> Or, like, they definitely could fuck on the show. Again, it's about the motion of the ocean. I think that you all heard this theory here first, that Storm Crow means that this is the boat Danny and John fuck on. Eliana, you're brilliant. Your brain is just so big. I was on the metro, and I'm like, what do I do? (laughs) What does it mean? And I'm like, am I getting motion sick? I don't know. Oh, my God. So the first 10 days were calm, cold, but the air was bracing and salty. Sam couldn't eat and had tried to keep Gilly courageous, but she wouldn't come on deck no matter what, preferring to huddle in the dark with her son because she's depressed. Not her son, I guess. He too was puking often and shitting, retching up her milk. And then we have a light of... Then we have a line of, no matter how many tallow candles Sam lit, the smell of shit persisted. Truly, the imagery is painted on pretty thick. I can smell the air myself, right? The gross baby poop and the puke. And like, baby poop has this sickly, cloying sweetness to it because babies are idiots and they can't yet digest real things, right, Mm. into their poop. Mm. So like, this is not a great environment to be hanging out with. I get it. I wouldn't want to hang out there either. Very gross. Very sad. You know, it's sad that Gilly is, she feels safer in that gross ass room than she does up there and, you know, able to be sad on her own in there. Or does she not feel she deserves to be up there, right? Where the air is fresh. Maybe she's like, I've done something cursed by leaving my child and (laughs) feels she deserves to be down in this darkness or something. Depression's like that sometimes. Exactly, just depression, right? Self-loathing for what you've done. She had no choice, but yet. Yeah. It's also, like, just the smell. I feel like this is just what George is telling us ships are really like, right? Because it's reminiscent of Tyrion's ship adventures. Granted, he shits himself in a barrel. So that's a a little different, but also kind of the same. And you're going to talk about this a little more, but also Quentin's realization that, as you said, also up top, adventure stink (laughs) it does (sighs) oh yeah this is definitely sam's adventure stink chapter poor fucker (laughs) well darian kept the open air pleasant at least with his singing uh he's got all these different songs like sad ones like the day they hanged black robin the mermaid's lament and autumn of my day rousing ones like Iron lances and seven swords for seven sons, body ones like Milady's supper, her little flower, and Megget was a merry maid, a merry maid was she. While he <laughs> sang the bear and the maiden fair, all the oarsmen joined in, and blackbirds seemed to fly across the water. I want to focus on Mary Mag's song because that's gotta be about Mary Mag, uh, Aegon mm. Fort's second mistress, and. I didn't really realize the tune that it probably is until you just sang it, but Maggot was a merry maid, a merry maid. Uh, it's oh. like Mary had a little lamb, but it's Maggot was a merry maid. 
I didn't think of that, but I, I'm like 90% sure that's probably what he's thinking. So way to go, Eliana. I, uh, I didn't realize I was thinking it. I was just reading things aloud. So wow, it it must be. He was must be channeling that. You were almost Hamilton rapping it, you know, in oh, aspect. Great. And I think that's what brought this on for me. I was like, whoa, she's past patiently waiting, passionately <laughs> smashing. Meg at the Mary Maid. Uh, so <laughs> Mary Meg was the second of Aegon's mistresses, a buxom wife of a blacksmith. He bought her on the road for seven gold dragons and put her up in a secret house. And they had a secret wedding ceremony and secret children. Later, Viserys too puts an end to it when he's prince. He's like, okay, these children are going to go become septas with the faith. And Meg, you need to go back to your blacksmith husband. Meg ends up dying within a year, beaten by her husband to death because that's on domestic violence. And that's what that was. I actually really like that complexity in that. I love when the woman gets beaten and dies in a story. You know, it just really becomes oh, a complex. My God, story. Uh, but I actually like the meta of it is like, that is it, right? Like that's what happens there. There's something about this though that again brings to mind Shay in some aspects with the secret manse, with the secret children and the secret wife. Yeah. Uh, his golden yeah. shame and pride for hands of gold, cold. Uh, but also, Gilly, this is what Sam is proposing to do, right? To put her in a secret little place where no one's going to know who she or her son are, and she can work for his family, and he'll provide for her secretly on the side. Sam stole her in some aspects from her home, as we've talked about, right? And secretly married her with mm-hmm. the cloaking by stealing the free folk girl. He didn't buy her, but you know, good good song choice here. I think that's a really good song choice to kind of just illustrate some of what Gilly's going through. And having, I mean, Meg obviously didn't really have any say in what was happening to her when she was stolen, which Gilly at least gets a little bit of a say. And she also didn't have a say of when she was pretty much given back to her awful husband. Yeah. And I mean, you were talking about that risk of domestic violence, right? And like, that Mm -hmm. was definitely part of why Alison got rid of the right of the first night. And we can see like how that shows up here but also that was as we know a risk for gilly in running mm-hmm. away uh thankfully her father is now dead so yeah her abuser died, sorry her father is... husband yeah jesus it, well and that's the other thing like that's what she would have been returned to had her yep. escape not gone okay and had her father not gotten murdered yep. <laughs> had, had everything not devolved like that's what her life would have been returned to so it does make me think of that domestic violence that she suffered and mm-hmm. there's another song choice i want to bring up uh, was what you were saying earlier, talking about Manderley's coming into the plot. The Mermaid's Lament is a song mm. that Darren sang. And a lot of these songs, I was looking at them, a handful of them were created just for this, just for this passage. Yeah. I don't think uh, Iron Lances and Seven Swords and My Lady's Supper, Her Little Flower. Oh, it's about sex. <laughs> Those ones were made up just for this. Some of the other ones, like Black Robin and The Bear and the Maiden Fair, obviously, are songs that we've heard before in the story uh but i feel Mm -hmm. like mermaid's lament reminds me of alongside this what's happening at the same time with wyman in a dance with dragons and what he comes to do that we know between you know the battle there that he kind of went all out and was like well probably gonna die so may as well be crazy and charge these frays in fucking battle yeah (laughs) after just like them up I have now a more complex view of House Frey um, after doing a series about them, but 
Yeah, absolutely. I feel like there's a lot going on here with that title, right? The Mermaid's Lament. Like, on one hand, is it about, are they, is it a song about the Manderleys having to leave their home, right, Ooh. by the Mander? Maybe they're lamenting that loss, but also we know that in the context of the actual story, Wyman Manderley does have a lament, right? He, he's, one of his sons died yeah. uh, during the red wedding so obviously that's something that he's lamenting and kind of wants it could vengeance be a new for song too yeah um so it's like a double there's a lot of meanings in that title i do love the other titles though too because when you look at them closely you can see that it's actually illustrating this journey that sam's taking mm. right seven yeah. swords for seven sons doesn't uh isn't too dissimilar from the song he sings to Gilly that our wonderful friend Noah sang for us, right? That they sang for oh, us. Yeah, yeah. Reminds me of that song, of the Song of the Seven. And then you have Body Ones, My Lady's Supper, which Gilly's not having any supper right now. Uh, her Little Flower, which very soon we know what's going to happen there with Sam. They're going to have Sam's some... Little Flower. Yeah, it's <sighs> Sam's Flower, really, in this scenario. Bear in the Maiden Fair, also about sex. Uh, Magat was a Merry Maid is probably also about sex. So we know mm-hmm. what's coming. Ah, it's Sam. Uh, but we know what's coming for Sam soon. Ah, it's Sam. Ah. <laughs> uh, well, until then, Eamon had once called Darian's voice, honey poured over thunder. That's a really nice compliment. He mm-hmm. played wood harp and fiddle, wrote his own songs, though Sam didn't think they were that good. He's young. All right, give him time to get to Wonderwall. Shit. Uh, and we have a line here of, Still, it was good to sit and listen, though the chest was so hard and splintery that Sam was almost grateful for his fleshy buttocks. Fat men take a cushion with them wherever they go, he thought. As a fat ass-haver, relatable. Very relatable. I relate to this. (sighs) I feel like George is right to have fun there. Oh yeah, this is George. Yeah, this is Big George, right? Like, this is some George sass going on. I like these little lines that we get from George that you know that he's like, I'm going to put something I want to put in this line for Sam. Eamon prefers the deck beneath a pile of furs, gazing out on the water. Darren, one time, is in the background. He's like, I wonder what he's looking at because he can't really see. And Eamon's like... Actually, I hear you, Darren. I wasn't born blind, you know. I remember every rock, tree, white cap, and goal from the last time I came through at age 35. He was a maester for 16 years at this time. Egg had called him to help his rule, setting him north on the golden dragon, having Sir Duncan, the tall mm. Sir Duncan, see him to mm. Eastwatch. No recruit had arrived at the wall with so much pomp since Nemeria sent the watch six kings and golden fetters. I really like that detail, and it's a fun reminder. You were talking earlier about, you know, likening Nymeria and Arya's story, but here as well, right? It's interesting to bring up Nymeria leaving her home in the context of Sam and crew also going on a ship voyage and, I mean, leaving their home, too. Yeah. For me, especially, the Gilly stuff sticks out so strongly there that, like, I mean, this is also Gilly is leaving to give a better home to her people, whether it's her people or not, and suffering for them by taking this other child that isn't hers and furthering the free folk. So it really makes her the Nymeria of this story in some ways Mm. of suffering for those people. Yeah, definitely. Gilly is Nymeria. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree. I like that a lot. 
can't, no one can argue with me. Here. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Gilly only podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Egg had even emptied out King's Landing's dungeon so that Eamon wouldn't need to say his vows alone. Aww. And then Egg called those men Eamon's honor guard, which is actually kind of nice, I think. One of those honor guards was Brynden Rivers, who later became Lord Commander. You have this uh, question from Darian of Bloodraven? Beyonce? Uh, <laughs> said Darian. I know a song about him. A Thousand Eyes and One, it's called, but I thought he lived a hundred years ago. <laughs> well, about yes? that. He's actually, <laughs> it, it's interesting, he's only 23 years older than Eamon. I didn't realize that. I was thinking about it during this entire chapter. I was like, oh, he's only 23 years older than Eamon actually is. But it's a great intro to Bloodraven in this book. He's named for the first time in this chapter as Brynden Rivers, to my knowledge. Like, they don't actually call him Brynden Rivers outside of this chapter yet. So it makes mm. Bran's arrival tie really nicely in, having come from Sam's arc and diverged from meeting Sam at one point to go to him. Uh, and it makes the Dance with Dragons kind of accompaniment really nice for Bran. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he's actually Aemon's great uncle, did you know? His great uncle. He was, uh, he's a great uncle. He's a great bastard. Oh my god, it's true. I mean, no, great, he great, literally great. was. Like, yeah, they were was. called the great bastards, so. Well, I'm personally a great bastard, so I get it. I get You're pretty I'm great. great yeah. Thanks. Pretty great. No joke. <laughs> <laughs> Coming back, full circle. Uh, <sighs> you know, Darren is kind of a shithead, and Eamon's like, you know, uh, once I was even as young as you. Darren. And what? then once he straight up says, he's like, once I was even as young as you, Darren, believe it or not. Darren doesn't. <laughs> Darren doesn't. He's like, I don't believe you, old man. He's like, you were born like that. <laughs> this seems to make Eamon sad when he says it, though. And then he closes his eyes and he goes back to sleep. And there's something I've been thinking of about Darian's character here. All this history and these thoughts of coming back to some of Aemon's past and Aemon being a dragon and him remembering being a dragon, it actually makes me think about one of Aemon's brothers that we haven't talked about in a while, which is his Darren, right? Mm -hmm. His brother Darren, Darren the Drunkard, the one that has the dragon dreams that we uh, meet at the beginning of Dunkin' Egg. That Darren's presence is making me th probably making Aemon think about his brother, his Darren, right? Uh, they both had a little bit of sass. They're both kind of sassy characters, and they like music and booze. And Eamon serves as Darren's maester for a time at Dragonstone, not pl unlike playing kind of like a Melisandre-esque character to Stannis in that kind of way when you think about it. Um, he served as his maester, and this is where he went when he thought it wasn't appropriate for him to be taking the Grand Maester place in King's Landing. So his relationship and the evolution of that relationship with his brother Darren and Darren's visions also come to mind. I know we talked a little bit, you know, last week about Rhaegar and him exchanging different messages and how he might have led Rhaegar to believe in prophecy. I mean, some of the prophecies that we first see in Dunk and Egg come from Darren, right? Someday the dragons will return, Egg later tells Dunk. My brother Darren's dreamed of it, and King Aerys read it in a prophecy. Maybe it'll be my egg that hatches. That would be splendid, Aegon V says. I don't know. 
I think that Darren has a big, big part of Eamon's personality and Eamon's willingness to be interested in prophecy and, and the mysteries and search more into these mysteries that he probably studied some of when he was learning to be a maester at the Citadel. I think his family helped spur that, and I think Darren is someone to think about. So he's probably very sad thinking of his Darren right now. I agree, definitely. And maybe that's part of what spurs, you know, like we start seeing that Eamon starts going further into his past in this yes. chapter and it might be related to what you're saying here about darian darian yeah. darian i'm sorry but when you say darian i just think mask. of the english yeah the english dog <laughs> that's all i've been thinking yeah, about you know. keep pronouncing as darian i'm like oh darian darian that yeah. was me as chibiusa thank instead you instead of mamochan <laughs> yeah exactly chibiusa in the english dub is like oh darian it's very funny <laughs> <sighs> well, the crew called the captain Old Tattersalt. That's adorable. <laughs> That's my name. That's my new name on everything. That's so cute. Old, old Tattersalt. Tattersalt. It's like Fishfoot. Remember Old Fishfoot? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fishfoot. I love Fishfoot. <laughs> From Davos. Oh, there's God. your, there's your uh, parallel with the Manderleys. Old yeah. Fishfoot. Old Tattersalt. Maybe I just like the names that with the old, but like, and you combine two words into one. Well, kind of like you were simple. saying, there, there's some piratey shit going on here, you know, a little bit of yeah. black beard and the storm crows. Old Tattersalt. Yeah. Thinking that, I'm not caught up yet. I know that, like, it just came out and there's not that many episodes, but, like, of Our Flag Means Death. Yeah. Which has just premiered recently, so. I'm on episode two. I'm on episode two. I'm still in the middle of one. Um... It's what I've we do in the busy. shadows, but with vampires, just, you guys. Yeah, exactly. It's tight, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or vampires, yeah, with pirates. Well, the crew calls the captain the old Tattersalt, and seldom he's seldom speaking, wears faded stained blacks, and in the mornings they eat oaten porridge, lunch, peas porridge, a lot of porridges, and dinners, salt beef, salt cod, and salt mutton, washed down with ale. Darian sang, Sam wretched, Gilly cried, Eamon slept. It was a better voyage than the trip that Sam had taken last when he was 10 years old, sailing on Lord Redwine's The Arbor Queen, which was five times as large as the Blackbird. It was magnificent. The ship was gorgeous, but once they hit the water, he was sick as fuck to his father's disgust. Yeah, interesting that he took a very long trip up to the watch then, right? That means he went to the watch uh, by horse, probably? Yeah, right? I was like, oh my god, they went over land? It's a long fucking trip. So in the arbor, things go from bad to worse. The Redwine twin sons don't like Sam, and they bully the fuck out of him, and they shame him in the Mm -hmm. practice yard daily. On the fifth day, Hobber had clad a serving girl, a kitchen girl, in his armor and lets her beat the shit out of Sam until Sam cries. And then Hobber reveals her to all the servants who are watching, and everyone's howling with laughter. It's just a horrible scene, very much so reminiscent of some of Brienne's horrors as a child, right, that we went through. Oh, I was the- also thinking, I think the language, right, does use the word howl, right, in mm-hmm. in the with laughter. It reminds me a little also of Howland Reed and uh-huh. Liana. Yeah, yup, yup, not unlike that. That's interesting, because we talked about that a little last week. Mm-hmm. He's a little Howland. Aww. They're Hoshara. They did it. Except he's the one getting beat up by Liana. <laughs> the Liana figure, so maybe not exactly. But still, But you know what? That comes back vibes. with the Arya chapter with him. Yeah. When she beats him and she's like, oh, sorry, I didn't fucking see you there. Uh, okay. So we have this passage. The boy needs a bit of seasoning. That's all. 
his father had told Lord Redwine that night, but Redwine's fool rattled his rattle and replied, I, a pinch of pepper, a few nice cloves, an apple in his mouth. Thereafter, Lord Randall forbade Sam to eat apples so long as they remained beneath Paxter Redwine's roof. That was amazing. Thank you. Uh, amazing performance, Chloe. From Chibiusa to Avril Lavigne <laughs> to this fool. Yeah, what can't she do? <laughs> so I don't know that George intended this. Maybe, maybe not. But, you know, besides the part where obviously Randall's forbidding Sam from eating apples because of the mockery and, like, reminiscent of, like, the roast pig stuff. Apples, though, are commonly associated with knowledge because of the Christian story, the Christian creation story uh, that involves Eve eating the fruit of knowledge and so like there's a way that this can kind of be read right of randall forbidding sam to bite the apple to pursue knowledge but as a maester Mm, i really like that because that is a lot of what he's forbidding for sam that's great that's really great huh and now sam feels forbidden to pursue carnal knowledge but he's gonna do it anyway good for him (laughs) gotta get over your fears sam no better (laughs) way than to plunge into pussy yeah. When they had returned home from the red wine trip, his mother told him, You weren't supposed to return. Had he pleased red wine, he'd be betrothed to his daughter and switcheroo with Horace as cupbearer and page. She had comforted him, murmuring, My poor, poor Sam. Sam thinks it'd be good to see his mother again, and maybe she'd even be proud of him in his blacks. He could tell her he's a man of the watch, that his brothers even call him the slayer now. He could even see Dickon and his sisters, but he might also see his father, which makes him heave and retch once more, but this time the correct way, with the wind. He was learning, until the blackbird struck east for the shores beyond Skagos. So it was like, when it turns, like, does his, like, up trunk, like, hit him in the face again? Yeah, I think the winds are in so many directions that you can't really call it anymore. Yeah. Well, we talked a lot about Sam's trauma last chapter and all of the previous chapters but again here's randall acting as the barrier to sam's happiness and from sam pursuing knowledge and from sam feeling love sam just thinks he's unworthy of all this love or can't reach it because randall stands in the way yeah and because he was told you know you're unworthy you were even his mom like this is she comforts him but like it still is like Poor, poor, stupid Sam. You were supposed to do a good job and not come home, is what she said to him, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh. like, it, his mom does coddle him a little in some of those aspects that aren't healthy either. Uh, and yeah. Randall probably doesn't make it much easier. Yeah. That poor boy. He's fucked. It's similar <sighs> to like how it, it makes me think and wonder more about Melissa's character and I'd like to get to know her more and see more of her story or learn more of what, you know, her and Randall's relationship was like. Because it kind of reminds me of Logan Roy and Carolyn Roy. Interesting. Like, ex-wife and how, like, she's yeah. awful in the opposite way, right? Of, like, being unable to go to action because of her relationship and who she is with him and yada yada. So I don't know. It just made me think of that. Very interesting. I think that we will get more of that relationship and see her, but I just, you know, don't know when. So. I hope so, though. Someday. I do think we will. Yeah. Allege someday. <laughs> so we have this quote. The island sat at the mouth of the Bay of Seals, massive and mountainous, a stark and forbidding land peopled by savages. They lived in caves and grim mountain fastnesses, Sam had read, and wrote great shaggy unicorns to war. 
Skagos meant stone in the old tongue. The Skagosi named themselves the Stoneborn, but their fellow Northmen called them Skags and liked them little. Only a hundred years ago, Skagos had risen in rebellion. Their revolt had taken years to quell and claim the life of the Lord of Winterfell and hundreds of his sworn swords. Some songs said the Skags were cannibals. Supposedly, their warriors ate the hearts and livers of the men they slew. In ancient days, the Skagosi had sailed to the nearby Isle of Skane, seized its women, slaughtered its men, and ate them on a pebbled beach in a feast that lasted for a fortnight. Skane remained unpeopled to this day. Ah, I can't wait to see Davos go straight to Skane, right? (laughs) Somehow. I imagine we will definitely see Skane now that I'm like, the Isle of Skane, something will happen that we see at some point up close there for Davos. And yeah, again, it could be interesting. And Skagos, yeah. Yeah, and again, yeah, that's the prominence with Skagos in this chapter. And a big reason of why it feels like we're in Manderley territory is that when we get this information again, it's in Wyman's uh, Mermaid's Court, right? It it makes me very interested, of course, with the obsidian and dragon steel over at Skagos waiting for us. And I wonder if uh, we'll have a good connection for Davos and Sam character-wise, right? Because they have... A lot in common. They're seeking higher education in some ways and education mm-hmm. in general. Their backgrounds are kind of them being unlikely lords, unlikely slayers, saving the children. And maybe Sam and Davos will eventually have to trip to Skagos together. I kind of think we won't go back to Skagos after Davos comes back. It might just be over. No more Skagos. But something interesting that their plots seem very connected with Skagos right now. Yeah, or maybe like Sam, I don't know, on his way back gets like shipwrecked there and runs into Davos. And re- it would be funny if Sam like meets every single Sark kid, right? Before <laughs> well, yeah, right. John Rickon. does and realizes they're all alive, right? He's got, yeah, Bran, Arya. Rickon, Rickon just makes sense for him it to actually, run into. Then with that in mind, it does also make the argument for like Sam being the one to figure out, John, you're not actually technically full Stark, buddy, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, uh, he, he's not, like, as much Stark as they are. He's just, like, right. it's on the other side. On you the other side. You also are part dragon, I think, because I've met your siblings, and they aren't your siblings, dude. <laughs> John, all of them? Sam, all of them. He's like, but good news, except for one, all are alive. And you knew about that one. That one was pretty graphic, dude. Yeah, that one really affected you, so. Uh, Darian knows the songs and stories as well, joining Sam at the prow as they near Skagos, joking, they may see a unicorn. And Sam jokes back, well, if the captain's good, we won't. We won't go that close. Yeah, fucking hope not. (laughs) He says not to mention that out loud to Gilly, though. She's upset enough. And Darian complains about her sobbing, that when she isn't sobbing, the baby is sobbing. And when the baby is eating her nipple instead of sobbing, she seems to be in pain. And Sam starts to think about it like that Gilly is really brave. She is really brave. Mm -hmm. And that she had felt wretched later. Sam defends her, saying that the sea must be scary, and tells Darian that, you know, maybe if you play some lullabies for them, maybe then they'll be able to sleep. And Darian says only if she shoves a plug up his arse, and that he cannot abide the smell. The rains began in the next days, and Sam at one point tells Eamon, they should go below where it's dry, but Eamon says it feels like tears, asking him to let them stay, and that it has been a long time since he last wept. And I'm like, okay, Roy Mustang. 
<laughs> and I'm not saying that it influenced this, but I am not saying that the manga didn't come out before. Okay. Only death can pay for George life, Eliana. Manga. Only death can pay for life. <laughs> Equivalent exchange is in this series, goddammit, in the it very first book. It actually is. It really is. And when you bring people back to life, they're not quite the same, so... Don't worry, you guys. Hmm. You can hear all of this and more when we someday get to Daenerys to cover Full Metal Alchemist, the chapter. I, I thought you were going to say we're covering Full Metal Alchemist. I'm like, that's a commitment. I don't yeah, know I don't about that Yeah, I don't have that yet. kind of time. I don't have that kind of time <laughs> with you. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> um. uh, Sam has no choice but to stay above with Maester Aemon, and eventually the rain and wind becomes way worse. Finally, he's like, all right, we got to get below. And he realizes Aemon fell asleep. He gently wakes him. Eamon's blind white eyes came open. Egg, he said as the rain streamed down his cheeks. Egg, I dreamed that I was old. Oh. <laughs> Sam, when am I going to wake up? Uh, <laughs> Sam scoops him up. No one had ever called Sam strong, but Maester Eamon was a little heavier than usual in his soaked black cloaks. However, he still weighed no more than a child. When he gets to the cabin, he sees Gilly was curled up in a corner with the babe, asleep, sobbing. The candles are all guttered out. He urgently asks her to help, and they get him into dry clothes. Eamon is damp and clammy, and Sam's like, we have to warm him, we have to warm him up. And she helps, not saying a word, sniffling. He calls out that Darren needs to come help too, and he goes to climb the stairs to find him, but the deck rises beneath his feet, falling away, and he slams to the ground, which wakes up the baby, who screams, Loudly, and the ship rolls again. The storm throws Gilly into Sam's arms, and Sam's like, Don't be afraid, don't be afraid. One day you're gonna tell your son all about this adventure. And she digs her nails into his arm, shuddering and beginning to sob violently because it was the worst fucking possible thing he could have said in that moment. How could he have known? He holds her tightly, hmm. feeling her boobies up against him, and he kind of gets a boner, and he's like, Oh, I better shrug that off. Uh, but she clings to him harder, sobbing. The days after that run together. Everyone is starved, but too sick to eat. The captain brings out a cask of fire wine that they're all able to actually keep down. So after a few days, as they're moving, they see a shattered ship over at the rocks of Skagos. Rocks, crabs, paying the dead crew homage on the sand. Old Tattersalt said it's too close, getting his rowers to exhaustedly row the fuck away from Skagos. And then they finally have eight days and seven nights of clear, smooth sailing. I loved that, the eight days and seven nights. I'm like, oh, we, go, we went biblical on this for a hot mm, second. Yes, so, yes. So smooth sailing. And I do have to say, I didn't really think about this, but that shattered ship is scary. It makes you wonder if Osha and Rickon maybe narrowly avoided being dead. Maybe they had to yeah. jump out. Maybe that's them. I th no, I think it is their ship. Definitely. Wow. Yeah. Scary. It is. Well, then came more storms. Worse than before. Three storms, maybe, or maybe only one, broken up by lulls. Sam can't really tell, and Darian screams, What does it matter? While he puzzles it out. Obviously it doesn't. Sam manages to squeak, the thunder throwing him out. But not the babe or Gilly. And up top, old Tattersalt, who has who was seldom heard, screams his crew. This idea of, like, is it three storms or one, it kind of actually makes me think of the war going on in Westeros and its different turns, oh. right? The war starts with Tyrion's capture and Ned's beheading, and then we, like, reach a lull, right? Um, 
sometime in a storm of swords and and there's another one rising soon as we see in feast right the war of the three queens or who knows fucking what mm-hmm. it's gonna be called then we're gonna have obviously the war with the others and maybe like kind of more wars and fighting afterwards but with such little rest in between it makes me think like and they're all kind of connected and flowing into one another are they really three wars or are they one Hmm. What does it matter? I love that. That really illustrates, because this is a physical vacuum being filled from a storm, uh, where you have a a power vacuum from those wars. And I love the lull being the metaphorical, like, this is the lull between the next king uprising to take these people. And then you have, of course, the line, and then the, the, in the fucking broken man, like, and then the Lord calls and the men break over to his side and now they are his. It does feel like a, a sea storm. That is a very great way to put it. Tying into like the broken man, like again, Darian being of the lower classes, what does it matter if it's once one war amongst like the high lords or three, you know? Yeah. It's all the same to them in terms yeah. of the, the wreckage. It's true. Sam repeats to himself he hates the sea, that this ship is strong, they will not sink, he is not afraid. Very much fear is the mind killer going on there. Good mantra, <laughs> Sam. During one of these lulls, he white-knuckles the rail and he hears the crew muttering that this is Gilly's fault, that she and her child are abominations and they wouldn't drown if they rid themselves of her. Sam doesn't dare confront these super doodly dudes, but he makes sure his knife is sharp, going with Gilly wherever and whenever she made water. Even Darren's starting to be a total asshole about Gilly, fighting with Sam a little bit about it, saying she needs a good spanking or a hard fuck. Close, just, just keep waiting. Uh, going to drink fire wine with the Brothers of the Oars. Sam himself had gotten used to the smell, but he was also starting to lose his mind because of, like, you know, no sleep for a whole week. Finally, when he sees Eamon awake at one point, he says, Is there anything I can give her to stop the crying? An herb? A potion? And Eamon's like, I'm gonna give you some of my dank counsel, Sam. Here's my advice. There's no fear in Gilly's tears. It's grief. There is no potion for that. Let her tears run their course, Sam. You cannot stem the flow. And of course, Eamon has experienced the grief of having to leave his family behind, and who knows what would follow for them. But also, this is Eamon giving Sam some of his first lessons on how to deal with grief and loss. Granted, of course, he he felt a little bit of that, you know, from what he endured north of the Wall. A lot of people died. But anyway, Sam is going to need these lessons later for, you know, when Eamon dies. Yeah, fuck. He's gonna be <laughs> full of griefs. God damn it. I have gorged enough on grief. Oh, <laughs> well, not yet. Uh, we got more chapters. Uh-huh. Uh, Sam-, <laughs> Sam doesn't really get why Gilly is grieving, and Eamon nudges him towards the answer. The babe is Dallas' son, not her son. And Sam is incredulous. Gilly would never have left the wall without her son. She loves him. What threats the Lord Commander made? What promises? I can only guess, Sam. But threats and promises there surely were. No. No, that's wrong. John would never- John would never. Lord Snow did. Sometimes there is no happy choice, Sam. Only one less grievous than the others. Well, Sam thinks of the trials that he and Gilly had suffered and wonders, what had it all been for then? And you get that refrain of, no happy choices and no happy endings. 
If you oh. think this has a happy oh ending, you haven't. No, I'm joking. Oh Sorry. my god. Waving <laughs> the sausage. Waving the ruining. sausage. Waving. I actually. I like how you brought that up. I was waving my hand. <laughs> uh, <sighs> this is kind of a, a, a negative version of no chance, no choice, right? Like, no happy mm, choice, yes. no happy ending. There is no choice. Sam feels helpless. He feels powerless to this. I think there's a lot of speculation around, you know, whether or not Eamon knew. I don't think he necessarily knew what John was planning to do. However, he knows he probably planted the idea, right? Eliana uh-huh. and I talked about this offline before, and I think he knew he planted the idea, especially in telling John, well, you know what you fucking have to do. Kill the boy. It's like uh-huh. Selena and Ben. In the last season of Veep is what it reminds me of, honestly, <laughs> is what Kill the Boy reminds me of when, like, Ben looks at Selena. If you're a Veepster, you'll know. And Ben's like, you know what you have to do. That's moreover oh what God. I think it was, right? Like, Eamon, lo- you you created this monster, Eliana. Uh, Eamon looking at John and being like, well, John, you'll figure out what the right choice is. You always do, and you you will. And this is the choice that he figured out. And it's interesting that George doesn't tell us whether or not Eamon knows, right? Because it doesn't matter. He figured it out, obviously, because yeah. sound is something that he is very, very strong at now, since he has more time to be strong at that sense. It makes me think, again, of Ned, Howland, Ashara, and whatever the fuck is going on in that little weird thruple of what happened with baby John being born. We don't know what was going on besides Ashara was being used as a face placeholder, right? If John would look more Valyrian than he should when he was born. But the line from Aemon of what threats the Lord Commander made, what promises? I can only guess, but threats and promises they surely were. It reminds me of Ned when he's fever dreaming, when he he thinks, When he slept, he dreamed dark, disturbing dreams of blood and broken promises. Like you pointed out last chapter, Gilly is totally Liana in that moment, begging John to promise her. Promise me you will find him a new milk mother. Promise me you will keep him safe. I'm more than positive some of those things were probably asked by Liana, especially when I think about finding a milk mother for baby John on the way back to Winterfell. Who Mm -hmm. could have gone with them to give John milk the entire way? Was it Wyla or was it Howland's wife? Mm. Uh, but some of these just feel so close to, to what the rebellion stories were evoking, right? The stories of old and what they probably had to go through. Absolutely. I think that's a great, those are great connections. And it's obviously something that really ties John to, to Ned. I mean, again, mm-hmm. may not have been his biological father, but that's his daddy. <laughs> Sam is finally coping with this realization, and he's like, oh, shit, this is horrible. He wants to scream and howl, and he realizes, no, no one's going to care if Gilly's son is burnt. If she burns Gilly's boy, who will care? No one but Gilly. He was only Craster's whelp, an abomination born of incest, not the son of the king beyond the wall. He's no good for a hostage, a sacrifice, for anything. He doesn't even have a name. (laughs) I really wanted us to call out that line because I think it's just such a heartbreaking line and it's and it's so true, right? Be, like it's a truth that Gilly herself also knows. Sam is just realizing it now, but Gilly has known that. Uh and you discussed also earlier like those connections between Sam and Davos, but I think it's also there between Davos and Gilly. 
right? Mm. Gilly is protecting the innocents at the cost of her own life, but also unfortunately imperiling her own son, which is kind of more of John forcing her to, uh, especially because John is like threatening to burn her son if anything happens to Mansa's son. And it's very, very not saving the innocents vibe there, John. But, uh, you know, Gilly's son, even if she's the only one who cares about him, and even if he's not important to anyone else but her, like, Again, that question of what is his life worth against the kingdom? Everything. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely. I think that feels really important in the Sam plot of having, like, save the children come up, you know, that, and also the people that have, actually have to save the children, right? Like, Sam and Gilly are being charged with keeping the child safe. Davos ends up going to keep the children safe, whether it's Edric Storm and getting him out of there and spiriting him away, which is what they're kind of doing in some aspects. Yeah. Uh, they're Edric Storming in there. Or also Rickon, right, being brave enough to go yeah. into Skagos. And here they are doing the same thing, going through Skagos, and that takes a huge amount of bravery. Most people would not get on a ship to do so. And that's interesting with Rickon because... You know, Rickon is a prince, just as allegedly this child is a prince, even though, again, the free folk don't work like that. But being accompanied by a free folk woman, Osha, mm -hmm. and that, Gilly as well. That sticks out very much. Sam goes to the deck to ratch, but he's got nothing left to throw up. I don't know that feeling. <sighs> the wind is in the sails, and the north, suddenly, everything is still. He sees a scattering of stars, including the Red Wanderer, the one that the Free Folk call the Thief. That ought to be my star, Sam thought miserably. I helped to make John Lord Commander, and I brought him Gilly and the babe. There are no happy endings. Darian shows up beside him, feeling really optimistic and positive for <laughs> once, being like, ah, the worst is done, buddy. And Sam points south, saying no. Lightning flashes, silent, blinding. The worst isn't done. The worst is just beginning. And there are no happy endings. <laughs> Cuts be good, said Darian, laughing. Slayer, you are such a craven. <laughs> so, I like that repetition of the gods be good. That's what Gilly says as they're leaving the mm. north. Mm -hmm. um, and how it takes on different meanings here, but... There's a beautiful line of imagery in there, right, where uh, it says the sea was black as glass, and that really struck me. It's a very simply, like, laid sentence, but obviously, as we know, glass comes in many colors. For most of us living in real life, our first associations with glass are probably, like, colorless, clear. I got glasses on my face. <laughs> but it's a great simple... Chloe doesn't. She has perfect eyesight. Um, it's a great simple line that is detailed enough to remind us that we are in Sam's story, right? It's black is glass because it's black as dragon glass and that's sam's first association with it and that shining of it and then you have this really great i think dialogue that connects sam's story with arianne's arianne sees a star in the same book and thinks of it as nymeria's star and mm. she takes it for her own star and omen right of her own story rising towards this accomplishment that she's going to get whereas for sam he takes the star that he sees He's like, that's a thief, and thinks of it as his own life and everything around it going towards sadness. So Darian takes Sam's pessimism, though, as cowardice, but I mean, it's not, right? Same as how Gilly knows the outcome of what she has to do to save 
Mance's child. It's risk. It's pain. Uh, she's risking her own death and her child. And I mean, I would say that perhaps even knowing that worse is coming, that there is no happy ending, and going forward anyway to do what must be done as opposed to running away, maybe that's braver than just going forward knowing that there's a happy ending. Yeah. Uh, I think the bravery is one more step, right? That's bravery. Yeah. The bravery is taking one more step and just yes. keeping on going even in the face of all the awful. And the fact that, like, even the storm that, you know, Darren is so ready and happy and whatever to, to like, say, ah, we have something better on the, on the way. Sam is ready to brace himself even though it's not like optimistic anymore like he wasn't happy go lucky in the beginning he's ready to brace that bad and brace whatever storms show up which i think mm-hmm. is a good way to be for him like it's not craven it's just he's finally taking a little realism it's not like the songs you know it's not a big fun journey like the songs it's not it really does get worse <laughs> <laughs> they have no idea how much worse it's gonna get happy ending yeah, so much for my hand. Oh my that's not the song. Darian sings in Bob. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah, it's a bop. Yeah. That is a bop. You know, you brought up Ariane, and I think that's such a great reference with that line. That's my star, Quentin, Ariane says, <laughs> right? Yeah. I, I actually think it's really funny that he doesn't realize, like, you also stole Gilly, dude. That's what that star means. That's the thief. Mm. And you didn't even, you're not even, you don't get it. Uh, but it does make me think of another Dornish character, as we kind of talked about a little bit at the top, in that Adventure Stank. This is a great mirror to Quentin's first chapter. You have daddy issues, right? Father Focus, Doran, and Randall. Uh, you have a gross-ass boat. Garrus is kind of the Darren, in my opinion, that they both have these, like, you know, uh, egos, the self-assuredness kind of assholes. But in some aspects, like you were saying, they have different place in the story than Sam and Quentin do. They don't have the crown that those two have or the paper shield those two have in life so that's interesting to kind of compare them as characters and they're both dreaming of better places right they're dreaming of the old town wine versus the dornish wine which i find an interesting contrast because of where they're going Mm. the reach versus dorn and they both have to get to where they're going then beg to find a boat to take them Uh, and there's this line in quentin's chapter he had promised his father he would bring her back to Dorne, but more and more he wondered if he was equal to the task. I never asked for this, he thought. Makes me think a lot of Sam of uh, wondering if he's equal to the task, and how am I going to keep doing this, and how am I going to take care of Gilly and this baby and become a maester and Aemon, oh my god, and make sure Darren doesn't fuck everything up. <laughs> yeah, and they've got different, like, you know, daddy issues going on too. And I mean, a bunch of people die on Quentin's journey and story, right? Including himself. Yeah. But uh, if you ignore the part where he dies prior to that, you know, it's a lot like Sam's, right? A lot of people die before he gets to, a lot of people die <laughs> before he gets to his destination. And yeah, I think for Quentin, though, he just presupposed, he was like, this has got to turn out well. This is definitely going to turn out well. It has to, right? There has to be that mm-hmm. happy ending at the end. Whereas for Sam, he's just been so conditioned by his father that he's always going to let him down. That he's just like, well, hopefully everyone else gets a happy ending except for me. Shit's going to be bad for me. But now he's like, oh shit. It's all bad. All the time. <sighs> always has been. Always will be. Always has been. <laughs> <laughs> 
alternatively, Randall shows up. Are you winning, son? Oh my uh, god. Did you see that combination to leave a little on a happy note of yes. that meme? I'm like, my son is winning. They don't know my son is winning at the party. Uh, he's not. Sam's not winning right now, but he will. Sam will win. He'll be a winner. Yes. I do think there are good things for Sam at the end of his story. I think, like, Gilly survives. Probably not great for their kid there. Gilly's kid. Probably, probably dead. But I Sam hope and Gilly will survive. Him, but I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Sam I'm and Gilly, they'll, they'll be fine. Those kids will work out. We just got it. He's going to have to help her through a lot of the horrible grief that, you know, everything is going to be brought to her from this. Dead kid life. Therapy. She's therapy. They both need therapy. They both need therapy. Holy shit. (laughs) Well, you know, help us crowdfund therapy for Gilly and Sam. (sighs) You can go to uh, www.gofundme.we. Stands for, you know, that's short for Westeros. Or. Instead of. Go fund Gilly, Gilly fund. I don't know. Yeah, we'll post a link on our social medias where you can find that. <laughs> We're not really, um, but you know. can send your love towards her. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on social media at Girls Gone Canon, C A N O N, or perhaps you have thoughts about. Sam's journey or anything else you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com yeah and if you're not subscribed to us on a podcast platform near you yet please do please head on over you can find us at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Acast, Stitcher Uh, you can also get us over at Amazon Music and Podcasts and oh gosh a bunch of other ones look us up Give us a Google, you'll find us, and make sure you leave us a five-star review and let us know what you think about the recent episodes and what you'd like to see in the future, or, you know, talk about your pets or something. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Someone hasn't sent us an animal. They haven't emailed us animal pictures in a while. Yeah. We do have a pets channel on Discord, though, so I I should stop being spoiled. <laughs> I'm there all the time. <laughs> Speaking of Discord, we do have a couple of things on our Patreon. First off, patrons in the $5 tier and above, the stranger tier and above, do get bonus episodes every month. And again, this month is March Shroom. Yes, March Shroom Madness. And we have already hosted brunch slash happy hour for this month for our Discord level of patrons. If you're in the Thunder tier, $10 and above, you have access to that for life. Next month, April, we'll be putting out the date, hopefully shortly in the next couple weeks, and we hope that you can come hang out with us for some some fun get-to-know-yous and icebreakers and games. Indeed. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I have been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Old Tatterfoot. Oh, Tattersalt. Are you Tattersalt? This is a ship. This is a ship between like old Tattersalt and old Fishfoot. Old Tattersalt. (laughs) I think that those two men had a steamy, salty love story out there on the sea. The storm crow themselves and the merman. Oh my god! This is very sexy. We'll be back with Sam three. Can't wait to chat with you guys then. Bye. Old Tattersalt. (laughs) 